0: world history than Jesus Christ Uh, no one has had a greater influence on the world for good than Jesus and no one has been more honored in this world than Jesus think about that you know one of the things that we did this morning as we sang worship songs is we were doing one thing here that we will do in heaven together that's sing worship songs it's one of the reasons why congregational worship is so important because it is one of the only things that we can do here. Thank God you won't have to hear me in heaven, right? <laughs> and, uh, but we will be singing worship songs together. And so every time we do that and lift up our voices to God, we get a little taste of heaven as we worship him uh, together. You know, and the reason we do that is because Jesus, Jesus Christ is the greatest leader in world History. And uh, so we're going to be talking about a new series based upon the life of Jesus called Successful Leadership. And it's uh, Becoming the Leader That God Desires. Now, you may be thinking this morning you're not a leader. Well, I want you to know everybody is a leader. Uh, the realm of your leadership may be not as large as the realm of other people's leadership, but I want you to know that everybody is leading. Somebody. And especially if you're a parent, you're a leader. If you're a father, you're a mother, you're a leader. But even if you're not a parent, just because of the influence that you have individually upon some other individual, you are a leader. And so, what we want to learn from the life of Jesus is successful leadership. What does it look like? And becoming the kind of leader that God wants us to become. Let's learn from the greatest leader in world history. We want to know today, and we're going to be talking about this for a number of weeks now, what was it about Jesus that made him the greatest leader of all time? Just think about it. You know, Muhammad Ali used to say he was the greatest of all time. I want you to know he may have been the greatest boxer of all time, but he was not the greatest leader of all time. That is reserved for one person and one person on alone, uh, Jesus Christ. So what was it about Jesus that made him such a great leader? If you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to be settling in on a story for a few minutes. And it's found in Matthew chapter 20 in verses 20 through 28. And it's a fitting story for Mother's Day. <clears throat> Here's the story. There was a mother. She had two sons. Their names were James and John. And she loved her sons, like all mothers do. She wanted her sons to be successful, as most all mothers do. And so she had a plan to make her sons successful. She believed that Jesus Christ was the Messiah of Israel. Now what that meant was, she believed that Jesus Christ was going to be the next ruler of Israel. And according to Jewish prophecies, this next ruler of Israel would not only be the king of Israel, he would be the ruler of the entire world. According to prophecies about the Jewish Messiah, every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that this Messiah was the king of the earth. One world government with the Messiah of the Jews ruling Over the entire world. So she fully expected that to happen. She was a woman of faith. And so she thought this is going to happen. Jesus is the Messiah. And she had a plan for her sons. And this was her plan. Her plan was. Her two sons. Would sit. In the most honorable positions of authority. Over the whole earth. Over all of Israel. One would sit on his right, and one would sit on his left. And so she came to Jesus with her two sons. And she bowed before him like you would before a king. She treated him like a king. And she said to him, when you come into your kingdom, would you permit my request? And Jesus asked her, what was her request? And she said, when you come into your kingdom, may one of my sons sit on your right and one of my sons sit on your left. (laughs) That's the background to the story. Well, here's what happened. Jesus answered and said, You don't know what you're asking for. (laughs) How many times have you made a request for something that you really thought you wanted, but you really didn't know what you were asking for? You really didn't know the responsibility that would carry. You really didn't know the kind of conflict that that would create for you if you ever were in that position of leadership. And so Jesus said, you really don't know what you're asking for. And then he said this in this veiled language that Jesus was using at that time. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? You know what he was talking about? Jesus was talking about his crucifixion. That was the cup. His death. His suffering for the sins of the world. His righteousness being manifested by his own willingness to die for the sins of the world. But he was talking about his cup. He was talking about his death when he, when he said, use that language, cup I'm about to drink. And then he said, And are you able to be baptized with the baptism that I'm about to be baptized with? You know, baptism is just a, an act of total surrender, is what it is. You're sitting there in the water, and what do you do? You surrender to the person who's getting ready to baptize you, you let them take you underwater. Are you crazy? I mean, they may hold you under there. You know what I mean? You're just totally surrendering to that person. And he was saying to them, Are you able to surrender to to what I'm about to surrender to? And those two fellas answered after their mother made the request, and they said, Yep, we are able. How naive were they, right? They really didn't understand. They really didn't know what that cup was what Jesus was getting ready to experience as far as his own death, the horrible death that he was about to experience. And they said, well, we are able. And then he gave them a prophecy. It was a prophecy they did not understand because here's what he said to them. He said, you will indeed drink my cup. In other words, the way I am going to suffer for righteousness, he prophesied to them and told them, you are going to suffer. You will drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with. But then he said this. He gave this disclaimer is what I would call it. But to sit on my right hand and on my left hand, it's not mine to give. In other words, I don't have the right to give this honor. Who does that honor belong to? Who who has the right to do that? Jesus was operating under authority. He recognized jurisdictions. And only God the Father, his Father, had the right to grant who would sit on his right and who would sit on his left. And when the two heard it, it says, uh, it says when the ten heard it, it created a conflict. Can you imagine? This all happened in the presence of all of the disciples. So here's this mother with these two guys coming in front of Jesus, but also ten other guys that had been following Jesus and sacrificing for Jesus just like these two guys had and they make this request to be on his right and be on his left right in front of those other guys now how do you think they felt at that moment don't you think they thought and you guys are on apron strings you know I would have thought that you're having your mother come to Jesus and make this request of Jesus I mean, I would have been going, something, I don't know. I I would have had something to say about their masculinity at that point in time. And then not only that, I would have been indignant. It's like, what have you done that I haven't done that would cause you to think that Jesus would give you this authority? Why wouldn't he give it to me? And so this request that James and John made, it created an incredible conflict. Have you ever experienced that before? Have you ever been in the presence of someone that made an appeal and it created a conflict in your relationship with the person who made it? Oh my goodness, that happens all the time, doesn't it? So now they had this conflict. Now the 12 disciples of Jesus, they had been a great team and now they're divided by this conflict. So Jesus has got to teach him a lesson. And so here's what he says. He called all those 12 guys to himself. Huddle up. Let's have a huddle meet is what he did, okay? Let's huddle up. And he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and those who are great exercise authority over them. Now, here's what he's saying. These guys lived in a time where emperors were not servant leaders. You got it? In other words, those who served in power, they did not have the best interest of the people on their hearts and minds. That wasn't the purpose of their government. No, what those in power did who were kings and emperors, they were some of the most evil individuals in the history of the world. They used people that were under their authority to accomplish their own purposes, their own agendas. And so Jesus just points to them and says, you know what Gentiles, rulers are like? (laughs) And he didn't have to say any more because they got it. They understood it. It would have been like for us saying, you know what Adolf Hitler was like? How he was using people under his authority to accomplish his own agenda? He wasn't doing that for the best of Germany. He was doing that for himself. That's what Jesus was saying to these guys. You know how the rulers of the world operate? And then he said, yet it shall not be so among you. In other words, this is a different kind of leadership. This is a different kind of ruler. It shall not be this way among you. And then he said, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. Wow. Jesus said, you know what, you want to become great, become a servant. What's a servant? A servant is someone who's not using other people to serve his own self-interest. A servant is someone who's trying to make others successful by the way that he lives, by the things that he does. His focus is upon other people and not himself. And so Jesus said, look, I'm introducing to you a different kind of leader, a leader who truly is a servant to others. And then he went on to say, and whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. (laughs) Just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And when Jesus used son of man, he was talking about himself he was teaching these guys lessons in leadership he was saying look at me I'm not here to be served I'm here to serve and to give my life a ransom for many (laughs) you know what that story does for me is it causes me to examine my motive for leading why am I a leader why am I a leader in my family why am I a leader in this church You know, what's my motive? What's my agenda? And what Jesus was saying to his disciples is that if you're going to become the kind of leader that God desires, you've got to have the right motive for leading. It can't be about you. It's got to be about others. What's best for them, making them successful. You know, uh, as fallen human beings, we're born selfish now that may be a revelation to you today I, I hope that it's not but that is a spiritual truth in the Bible that's not being taught in our world today what you're being taught in the world today is that everybody that's born is born good and the outcome of their lives is going to be determined by what happens to them socially and if we just provide enough resources for those folks everybody will come out good really no what the bible teaches is that every one of us is born sinners that we have a fallen nature in other words we don't have the nature that god intended for us to have as human beings in the beginning a nature that is compelled that is that is compelled by love for others really looking out for the best interests of others even if it meant sacrificing ourselves that's the way it was in the beginning but not any longer. Not since the fall of the first man and the first woman. Every one of their descendants was born fallen in their nature. And by being fallen in their nature, their nature is selfish. In other words, there wasn't one of these children out right out here today that's not fallen in their nature when they were born. And their parents would go, yeah, we see it. <laughs> We see it. Uh, it's more about them than it is about others. That fallenness in our nature. We're born selfish, if you want to say it that way. And you know, when, when we're children, we're very naive about our selfish motives. Very naive. We're not aware. We're not, we call it being self-aware. And as children, we're just not aware of our selfish motives. We're not aware of our fallen nature. If we're raised by parents that always tell us how great and how good we are, or they do not tell us the truth about our fallen nature, we can grow up without any awareness of our fallen nature. We can grow up without any awareness that we're selfish if we don't have parents that tell us the truth. You know one of the best things that a mother can do for her children is to teach her children the truth about themselves you have a fallen nature son you have a fallen nature daughter and because of that nature you have a motivation to be selfish in the way that you conduct yourself and that's something that you're going to have to face my daughter that's something you're going to have to face my son and that's something that you're going to have to learn how to overcome in your life that fallen selfish nature it's one of the best things that a mother can teach her children you know as we grow up the circumstances of life have a way of exposing our selfish nature don't they it's just the way it is we may, we may not be self-aware of our fallen nature of our selfish nature but as we encounter the circumstances of life all of a sudden, <clears throat> there's opportunities for that fallen nature to be exposed. As we interact with people in our family, as we go to school, as we develop friendships, as we participate in group activities, the truth is our fallen nature will be exposed on a regular basis if we can see it. You see, our feelings get a hurt all the time. And what hurts our feelings? Well, what hurts our feelings is the same thing that hurt the ten disciples' feelings. We don't think that we're getting what we deserve. Why do they think they should get that rather than us? Our feelings get hurt as we begin to encounter circumstances on a regular basis in which we start going, you know, I'm not being served the way I want to be served. I mean, my mother, my wonderful mother, she's just not serving me the way I want to be served and I'm hurt. Where's that coming from? I want you to know that's coming from that fallen nature. Oh, there's my father, you know. He just doesn't serve me the way I want to be served. We get our feelings hurt in our family or because of our siblings or because of kids at school or in our neighborhood. You know what's happening there? God is trying to expose to us our fallen nature. That we are selfish. We can become very angry that life is not fair if if we're not self-aware of our fallen nature. And that's what's happening to so many people today. All of these acts of violence that we're seeing across the United States, it's the result of somebody who's never become self-aware of their fallen nature, their selfish nature, and has sought the right solution to it. And as a result, they get angry they get angry because they're not being served by society the way they think society should serve them they're not being served by others and as a result they think the solution is justice in their minds do you know that everybody who's taken someone's life in a criminal way it's they think in their own hearts that they're doing what's just that's how self-deceived they are you know uh unfortunately As fallen human beings we can still be blinded to our fallen nature as adults and that's where life really gets dangerous doesn't it if you enter into adulthood and you're not aware of your fallen nature and your selfish nature and you enter into adulthood and you enter into an adult world oh my goodness things are getting ready to get painful painful for you and also painful for other people Oh, you get a job that you want. What happens? Well, what happens is what happened when you were a child. You're not served by your employer or your fellow employees the way that you think you should be served. And before you know it, you're offended. Your feelings are hurt. And if you uh, don't have self-control, you end up hurting other people as a result of your own pain. And then, oh, my goodness, how many couples have walked down the aisle and stood in front of me with all of these, you know, plans for their future relationship and within a year they don't even like each other why is that why has that happened to so many marriages because you have two people who are not self-aware of their fallen nature and their selfish nature and they're not dealing with it and so as a result what happens well my husband he's not fulfilling my desires he's not fulfilling my expectations they get their feelings hurt and then the same thing happens to the husband And that can even cause husbands and wives to begin to consider divorce or to look somewhere else to get their needs satisfied. I want you to understand something. The solution is not divorce and remarrying another guy. The solution is going, you know what? I've got a fallen nature. It needs to be dealt with. I've got a selfish nature. It needs to be overcome. And if I don't do that, I want you to know I could keep Marrying person after person. And I want you to understand something. Oh, there may be some relationships that are better than others because they're a better fit in some way. But I want you to understand, it's not going to change the unhappiness that you're experiencing just by changing marriage partners. No, you have to deal with that fallen nature and start learning how to be the kind of leader that Jesus wants you to become. If we become leaders in business, politics, or even religion without an awareness of our fallen nature, we use our power, resources, and knowledge to satisfy our selfish desires and ambitions. There's a lot of successful people that are very selfish when it comes to politics, when it comes to business, when it comes to religion, who haven't faced their fallen nature and the kind of leader that they really are. This creates even more pain for ourselves and others, and unfortunately... Many people live their whole life without ever becoming aware of their fallen nature. Isn't that sad? And they never deal with it. And they're so bitter and angry, some of them, at the end of their life. And they think it's everybody else's fault. When in reality, it's an internal problem in them that they've never resolved and that they've never dealt with. You know, the best way to learn about your fallen nature is to learn about Jesus. If we compare ourselves with others, we can always find someone that is worse than us and conclude we're not that bad. But if we compare ourselves with Jesus, our fallen nature and our selfish motives, I want you to know, study Jesus and his life and you're going to be challenged. Your fallen nature and your selfishness is going to be fully exposed You see, Jesus was a different kind of leader. He didn't have a fallen nature. He didn't have a sinful nature. There wasn't a selfish bone in his body because he was God. And he portrayed for the whole world what God looks like as a servant leader. Here was Jesus. He was God in human flesh. He had unlimited power. And he demonstrated it all the time by healing people even raising people from the dead he not only had unlimited power he had unlimited resources he said at one point you know what if i needed to i could call upon the angels of god the father and they would come to me and wipe out the world population that's basically what he said he had unlimited resources i mean he could take a few pieces of bread and a few fish And he could multiply them and feed over 5,000 men and their families. I mean, he had unlimited resources. He was the wealthiest human being that lived on the face of the earth at that time. And then he had this unlimited knowledge. I mean, it was incredible. I mean, I make mistakes all of the time because of my limited knowledge and so I try to avoid as many mistakes as I can so I will go to men like Tom Hill and ask his knowledge what's the problem with that? well his knowledge is limited too but I want you to know 50% of Tom Hill is better than all of (laughs) y'all or I'll go to Greg Werner I call Greg all the time he's got all this knowledge you know when it comes to construction stuff and I want his knowledge But what's the problem with that? Yeah, Greg's knowledge is limited. Now let me say the same thing about Greg there. He's got much more knowledge than most of you have about construction stuff. He's a great guy to call upon. And so you know what happens? I can go and seek his counsel and I can go and seek his counsel or someone else's counsel that I respect and I still make mistakes. Jesus never made a mistake because he had unlimited knowledge. He knew what the future was going to happen. He knew everything. He could tell you what to do on every problem if he wanted to. Oh, that's broken? Let me tell you what to do. You know, you got this problem in your marriage? Let me tell you what to do. You got this problem here in your finances? Well, let me tell you what to do. And every piece of counsel that he gave was perfect. And if you would follow it, you would see that it was. So here was a guy. He had unlimited power. He had unlimited resources. He had unlimited knowledge. What would you do with that? Well, instead of using his power, resources, and knowledge to serve himself, he used all of these things to serve others, to serve me, to serve you. That's what he did. that's who God is you get it I don't know what your view of God is but I want you to know my view of God is Jesus and that's who God is a God who is all-powerful and all-knowing who has unlimited resources and unlimited knowledge and unlimited power and what does he do he uses it to serve me why does he do that oh I'm just a wonderful individual I want you to know I'm incredible. You know, I never make mistakes. I've never sinned against God. You know, I've never done anything to really hurt or injure anybody. Do you know that's all a bunch of what? I won't ask you to say it. <laughs> that's in spite of my sins, in spite of my failures, in spite of my imperfections. God uses his unlimited power, his unlimited resources and his unlimited knowledge to serve me. Oh, man. There we go. There we go. He emptied himself to make us successful. He sacrificed himself to serve us. When the sacrifice that was needed was becoming a human being, Jesus made that sacrifice. A God became man. The God became man. A member of the Trinity became man. He did it when that's what it called for. When the sacrifice that was needed was serving his earthly parents, He did it. When the sacrifice that was needed was walking hundreds of miles to teach and heal others, He did it. When the sacrifice that was needed was hanging out with sinners, the worst of sinners, He did it. When the sacrifice that was needed was sharing life with 12 very difficult guys, here they're having an argument about who's the greatest, He did it. When the sacrifice that was needed was being rejected by His own family and nation, Jesus did it. When the sacrifice that was needed was washing his own disciples' feet, something that none of them would do for each other, Jesus did it. When the sacrifice that was needed was to atone for the guilt and shame of others, including myself and you, and experiencing an incredible amount of suffering in order to atone for every sin that's ever been committed in the history of the world and will ever be committed in the future, Jesus took on that suffering willingly, and he did it. When the sacrifice that was needed was suffering physical abuse for the sins of the world, Jesus did it. You see, Jesus was the greatest leader who ever lived because he was the greatest servant who ever lived. No one gave up more to serve you and me and everyone else than Jesus. And this is why Paul said this in Philippians 2. And we'll close with this today. Therefore, this is the Apostle Paul, who at one time, this fella was an enemy of Jesus. He did not believe in Jesus at one time. He went around persecuting those who did believe in Jesus. And listen to what Paul said. Therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, if there's any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. He's the example. He's the servant leader. Who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal to God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. You see, Paul saying, follow Jesus. He's a servant leader. Instead of using his power, resources, and knowledge to serve himself, he used these things to serve others. Let me ask you, what kind of leader are you? I just lifted up for you the most wonderful leader in the history of the world. I'm asking you to compare yourself. What kind of leader are you? Are you like Jesus? Wow. You know, you can always tell what kind of leader you are by the people you are following. Who are you following? Are you following Jesus? Are you following other people that are fallen in their nature and selfish, that use other people to satisfy their own appetites and desires rather than using their life to make others successful and serve their needs? Are you like Jesus? Are you seeking to be like Jesus? Who are you following in your life? What posters are on your wall, young people? Who are you following? What books are you reading? Who are you following? What music are you listening to? Who are you following? Who do you want to be like? You see, that reveals your heart. Compare yourself with Jesus. Follow him. Well, how has all this changed? What if you want to become a servant leader like Jesus? What needs to happen? Well, here's what needs to happen. First of all, what needs to happen is salvation, is what Jesus called it. You gotta be saved. What do you gotta be saved from? You gotta be saved from your fallen nature. You gotta be saved from your selfish nature. You say, well, how does that happen? Well, Jesus died for the sins of the world and he made a way by dying for the sins of the world for all of those who believe in him to be saved from their fallen nature, to be saved from their selfish nature. Jesus provided the way. You say, well, how does that happen? When you believe upon Jesus for the forgiveness of sin, here's what he promises. He promises his spirit will come and live in you. You see, you don't save yourself from your fallen nature. You invite Jesus into your life believing in him, and he saves you from your fallen nature. You know, when the spirit of God unites itself with anything in the Bible, what we see is it changes its nature. There's a man named Saul in the Old Testament. He was, a king, he was the first king of Israel. Saul was just an ordinary guy and he was a coward at heart. After he was anointed king, one day the Spirit of the Lord came upon Saul. You know what he did? He began to prophesy. He wasn't a prophet. But he was when the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. There were guys in the Bible that weren't mighty warriors, but when the Spirit of the Lord came upon them, their nature was changed, they became mighty warriors. At one point, the Spirit of the Lord came upon a donkey, and the donkey spoke. Why is that? Because when the Spirit of God unites with anything, it changes its nature. You are raised, the Bible says, from death unto life. Has that ever happened to you? I don't know what your experience has been in church life but I want you to know if they're not preaching what I just said to you they're not preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ through his own resurrection he says the same thing that happened to me will happen to you and it won't just happen when you die physically it will if you believe in Jesus it'll happen to you the moment that you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ I want you to know at 17 years old I was a fallen creature with a selfish nature that was using people to satisfy my own desires, I was evil and wicked at heart. And the moment I received Jesus Christ, I received his life into my life. And that all changed once and for all. And it's never been the same ever since then. I can't change who I am. I need Jesus to change me. And in order to maintain that change in me, I need to depend upon him daily because I'm still fighting this battle with this old earthly body. And in, within this old earthly body that the Bible calls the flesh, there's all of these competing desires. I didn't lose all those. They're all there, but I want you to know I received his nature and I became partakers of the divine nature when I received Jesus as my personal Savior. That's the first thing that needs to happen to you if you really want to change. I'm not talking about playing religion. Religion will never change you. I'm not talking about a new set of rules. A new set of rules will never change who you are. The only thing that will change who you are is the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Have you ever experienced it? You need to if you haven't, if you really want to change. Hmm. Last night, I got to see something so beautiful. One of the matriarchs of our church is Nancy Holbert. She had a severe stroke yesterday, major stroke, taken to Baptist Hospital emergency. A lot of her family hadn't, was not close by, and so she only had one family member there when we arrived. arrived Sandra and I arrived. Before you know it, there's Greg and Kim I saw then. They actually got beat us. Before I knew that, there, there came in Jack and Mala. And then came in Nathan Redman, his compadre, and then Jonathan Werner. And I'm looking around the room here. Before you knew it, we filled up the whole room. It was about 8.30 last night when that all took place. Scott and Renee were there. I don't want to leave anybody out. The apples were there. I don't want to leave anybody out. You might get jealous if I left you out. You know why we were there? We were there because we have experienced the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. And because he first loved us, we love. And we will love that family from now through the end of this, wherever it goes. And we will do everything in our power to make them feel loved. I want you to understand that's not who we were, but it's who we are now in Jesus Christ. And Cindy had been out of town and she came back on a plane not even knowing that her mother had a stroke until Lance picked her up at the airport and told her. And when she arrived at that waiting room, full of all of these folks, you know what we were doing? We were singing unto the lord as she walked into the room hey i bet she was blessed by that we were singing and praying for the family and for her and one of the things that greg prayed was for her comfort i want you to know we couldn't have brought more comfort than to be there for her when she walked into that room singing unto the lord i guarantee you that comforter we answered her prayer You know why that happens? It's not because we're wonderful people. We were all a bunch of selfish, fallen creatures at one time. It happened because of Jesus Christ. We are saved. Are you? Are you? Once you get saved, you know what you need to do next? You need to surrender. You need to understand, oh, God's purpose for my life is to be a servant like Jesus. I got it now. And you need to surrender to that purpose. You need to do what James and John would eventually do and submit to that baptism. Submit to that cup, because it's painful to serve. Just look at Jesus. And so you've got to surrender yourself to that purpose of serving, making a late trip to the hospital to love somebody. That's suffering. You've got to surrender to his purpose. I want to be a servant like you, Jesus. And I want you to know his power will be released in you, and even when you're tired and weak, he'll give you the strength to follow through. And then you know what you need to do? You need to surround yourself with people whose purpose is to follow Jesus. I want you to know I was strengthened last night as we gathered in that hospital room by all my brothers and sisters that were there. I was strengthened. I was encouraged. And I needed it from this week. I needed it desperately from this week. And there it was. You know why I got that strength? Because I don't isolate myself. Like many of you may do when you're going through difficulties. No, I run to them. I surround myself with other people that love Jesus and want to be a servant like him. And I get strengthened by that. I get strengthened by that. Holy cow. Surround yourself. Get saved. Surrender and surround. And I want you to know you'll become the leader that God wants you to be. Let's pray together. you're not saved today I want to encourage you to be saved today I want to encourage you to receive Jesus right now right where you sit I don't want you to wait one moment longer I want you right now to ask Jesus to save you and I want you to know he says he will if you will put your faith and trust on Jesus Christ that he was God in human flesh that he died for your sins he will forgive your sins and you know what else will happen he will change your nature his spirit will come to live in your spirit And you will become a new creation in Christ and you're on the road then you're on the road to becoming the servant leader that God wants you to be aren't you weary and tired from being selfish and fallen trust in Jesus today right now if you want to trust in Jesus I ask you right now just turn to him and uh, I can't lead you in an exact prayer that makes you save it comes from your heart and just say to Jesus you know Lord Jesus I'm a sinner I have a fallen nature I'm selfish I'm hurting people, I'm hurting myself, I'm hurting you because of, my, because of my sinful condition. And Lord, I want that to change right now. Lord, save me, Jesus. Save me, Jesus. Save me, Jesus. Would you ask him to save you right now from your sinful condition? And trust him to come into your life, come into your soul, and change who you are. If you would, do it right now. Do it right now. Would you make a decision this morning to surrender to his purpose, to be a, a servant leader to your husband, to your wife, to your kids, to your business associates, to whoever God has in your life? Would you just surrender to that purpose right now? If you would, would you tell him? I surrender to your purpose for my life, to be a servant leader. I don't want to live for myself anymore. I want to live for you, Jesus. Would you do that right now? And would you purpose to surround yourself with other people that are following Jesus? There's people like that here. They are new creations in Christ. Imperfect in lots of ways. But I want you to know their nature has been changed. They didn't change their nature. Jesus did. And they love people and they'll love you. Will you surround yourself with people that are following Jesus and stop following whoever you've been following in your life? Would you do that? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Look up just a moment. If you receive Jesus this morning, the next step for you is to follow the Lord in baptism.